Since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, global health systems have been challenged like never before. As time and resources were directed towards responding to the virus, it was the dedication of healthcare workers that kept services running. Amongst the uncertainty, our hardworking Queensland clinicians have continued their pursuit of excellence, innovating and adapting the way they work to ensure consumers always receive the best care possible. To them, the pandemic was an opportunity to learn and grow and to ensure healthcare delivery continues to evolve to the ever-changing landscape. Because if we've learned anything from the last two years, it is that things will always change and our clinicians will always rise to the occasion. The corporate world transitioned quickly to working from home and endless video chats when the pandemic struck. The transition for our healthcare system, while keeping patients at the forefront, was much more complex. How did our clinicians manage to keep hospitals open and functioning for those who needed them, meet the potential demands of COVID surges, and transition care safely where possible? While I would say dedication and a little creativity, I'll defer to them. Nations COVID-19 response team, which is part of the Canton Hinterland Hospital and Health Service and in the Tropical Public Health Service. So firstly, I'd like to express acknowledgement to the traditional owners, the Yagra and Thurabal people here, and also back in Cairns, the Gimoi, Yigabara, Yidinji people, and acknowledge the custodians of the land and elders emerging past and present. Who are we? So. We're the First Nations COVID-19 response team and we're based in the Tropical Public Health Service in Cairns. I'll put the first most important person first, that's um, Esme, the admin support officer, and then the rest are in random orders because the second one's me, um, the project lead. There's a um, clinical nurse consultant, Trish. We've got an Indigenous liaison officer, Clayton. We've got a health worker, who's Josh. You'll see all the pictures through the presentation. Two clinical nurses who are nurse grade five, there's Kati and Sarah, and we've just lost uh, clinical nurse, oh sorry, nurse grade six, and we've just lost a clinical nurse grade five who's trying to escape across a border somewhere due to his partner's work. And then one planning and health promotions officer that's uh, just under recruitment, hence the kind of scatty nature of the slides because they normally do that. Right? So we're doing a bit of a parallel thing here, and Trish is telling a story from the, the pictures. This picture here is our team. We supported the um, Yaraba community, one of the largest discrete communities, Aboriginal communities in Australia. So they had a vaccine drive over three days, and we were there, we set up our stall, and we um, answered any questions people had, and then also gave any yeah, questions around um, post the vaccine and stuff like that, just gave them some information. So, so the background for Cairns and Hinterland Hospital and Health Service is that uh, we've got fairly big area, nearly 150,000 square kilometres. There's nine hospitals, 11 primary healthcare centres and nine community health centres. There's five Aboriginal community controlled health centres there amongst those and the population's only about 253,000 odd like chair thing there with zero per hectare. But I'm not sure what ours is per hectare. And we do get intake and a lot of travel between the 
Cape Communities and Cairns and the, with a feeder health service and up in the Torres as well. And there's three discrete First Nations communities, which are Jumbung Community in the south near Tully, Mossman Gorge, which is sort of right on the edge of our health service, to the north there, and Yarrabah's over in the east across the bay from Cairns. There's also various urban centres with, with high Indigenous populations. And there's a significant homeless at-risk and transient population. So people travelling into Cairns, often for health actually, and then either not being able to get home or staying in Cairns and ending up homeless. And then 14% of our population are First Nations people, compared with four um, in Queensland as a whole. Uh, so this picture is taken at Uchopran. Um That's a health service, an archo in the Cairns region. So again, that was another uh, vaccine drive they had on a Saturday. So um, I think first dose, they had about over 200 that day. So it was pretty good. Um, and again, just giving them information. So uh, where we came from, the concern was from the Commonwealth modelling for a COVID-19 outbreak in a First Nations community, and this was with the Alpha variant too. Um, and the prediction, I was at the time working for a Punapima Cape York Health Council, and it was kind of like a secret document that the, the feds had done, and then the state got hold of it, and everyone knew it wasn't good, and you know we got leaked bits of it. But basically, there's concern that COVID-19 would, would basically ravage First Nations communities because it would be difficult to detect the cases due to both distance and access to, to testing. There'd be rapid spread due to overcrowding, so often they're quite small communities, but and they might look very open, but high numbers of people in households. 17 plus is not uncommon. And then difficult to contain, and the disengagement from health services and authorities, and then likely poor outcomes for communities due to the high prevalence of comorbidities. So the bit where it says, you know, First Nations as a, um, as a risk factor is because of all those other health comorbidities that are prevalent in First Nations communities. Significantly, elders at risk means law and law are, are at risk. So there's a cultural risk to COVID in communities because the older people who, as we saw from Keith's talk, hundred times more likely to die from COVID than a 20-year-old if you're over 80. These people are the knowledge holders and the culture holders. Then there's some of the things we've been facing, a, a historical mistrust of government services and legislative and syst systemic discrimination, so the Stolen Generations, the Protection and um, Opium Control Act and Stolen Lands. So that's meant that when there was there have been lockdowns that for a lot of people, th th these things are in living memory of people. So for some people, they felt like it was the first time they'd, they'd felt the um, power of the crown, as they put it, in one report. And, and also other people felt like they'd been triggered um, from previous legislation that, that had controlled their lives significantly. So there's, there's been poor engagement of and with government, including the health messaging. And so you get a lot of people, women will give up smoking while they're pregnant, because there's a great poster that is quite common in communities. It's got a woman smoking and the baby inside her and the baby's smoking as well. But 
a lot of women take up smoking after they've delivered. So the messaging's obviously not getting through there. And also there have been targeted misinformation campaigns via social media that have really actually targeted minority groups. So it's been um, ethnic groups and First Nations groups and things like COVID's designed to wipe out First Nations people around the globe, but it didn't work. Um, the, the First Nations people didn't don't get it. They're not susceptible for COVID. And then the vaccine has been developed to kill people because the the virus didn't work. And so, and a lot of uh, religious ones too. There's uh, there's a lot of, especially mostly in the non-indigenous Pentecostal groups around. Cairns, uh, a lot of um, mistrust of the vaccine and saying it's, it's the devil's work and that you'll become a, a tool of the devil if you are vaccinated and that's leaked into First Nations communities as well. Uh, so this one was just a mock-up of our setup on the Esplanade, um, just making sure all of our IT um, all works together. And Yarraba's kind of Directly across from the, if you, from where the viewpoint is, behind the van there, across Trinity Bay there. So there was funding um, from the Commonwealth Community Part Partnership Emergency COVID funding, and originally there were two programs that were applied for, and that I think this all kind of harks back to the fact that this has been a big journey that everyone's on. It's easy to remember where we're at or know where we're at, but it's sometimes remembering how we got here is is interesting. So we started off with two funding streams and an outbreak response team and a mobile su surveillance unit. So this was taken at Jumbin community. So um, the, the community members asked if we could actually go out door to door and um, actually speak to people instead of like, you know, sitting at the clinic and um, wanting them to come to, to the clinic. So we went out and we spoke to um, just about everybody out there um, it was really good. We got a good, like really good feedback from people. Um, there was a lot of people that were actually fully vaccinated, but there was still just a few there that still needed to, uh, to get their jabs. So um, they were happy for us to come back at a later date, and um, they were happy for us to, you know, put our van out there and you know deliver the vaccine. So um, we're in that stage at the moment of getting through to that process of doing that. So um, yeah, it's been been positive in the community and. Um, just being like, you know, an Aboriginal person myself and speaking to my mob and that is just like, I think it's been, it's been positive, yeah. And that's um, Josh there. He's yeah, he's our, in, um, our Indigenous um, health worker. He's been awesome. <laughs> and he's um, actually connected to that community too, so that yep. was great. We missed two houses because they're cheeky dogs. Hmm. So the aim was to minimise the impacts of COVID-19 on First Nation people using the public health principles of prevention, surveillance and containment. Uh, that's just an image um, that we actually... <laughs> <laughs> that's me. Um, we just, like, putting out to, like, promote the actual swab when we were doing surveillance. So we were actually handing out um, just brochures explaining, you know, the process and, um, you know, numbers to contact and stuff like that. Um, once the swab was done and um, what they needed to do after the swab, so yeah. And this one was at um, Cairns Villas, so they have a pretty high population of Indigenous residents in that in that leisure park. 
So um, we, we, we were doing um, constant surveillance there um, when we um, first started. So, um, and then also um, requesting us to, you know, go back and do more surveillance there once we got um, a case in the community. So it was good being mobile and being able to get out there and, um, you know, give the community what they need and just, yeah, surveillance. So the strategy we used was, because um, originally there were, there were no outbreaks, so we had a, an outbreak response team and we had a surveillance team. The, the team, surveillance team didn't have the van or anything, so we had to set up the van and do all the protocols around that. So basically had a couple of teams sitting in the office that were not really, yeah, working out what to do, I suppose. And it all came down to we knew we needed to make relationships. So we did grassroots engagement with communities and when we went out, we, we spoke to people and organisations on country, on, on sort of on their own terms, and we went there to build relationships and to seek information and share information rather than going out and telling people what they need to do um, or how they needed to act. We went. Um, to learn and to share. And so the aim, aim being to develop the f um, culturally safe and effective locally appropriate health solutions based on the community knowing their own people. Uh, so this is Josh um, speaking to one of the um, Jumban community members. Um, he has been fully vaccinated and uh, he was happy to spread that word. Yeah, he had a, a great quote. He said, it's all about getting the right information and if your whole family is vaccinated, well, you've got no worries. And I asked if we could quote him on it. He goes, yeah, no worries, go for it. <laughs> we had to get him off his lawnmower. He'd cut all that grass there. Yeah. So this is what we've been doing. We've been working with elders, traditional owner groups and cultural leads. It's been a bit of a moving feast what we've done and how we've done it, just because of what demands came up. That's the swabbing. This was our quick pop-up response at um, Raintree Shopping Centre. Um, it was in right in the centre of like um, a lot of the exposure sites around the um, city, so that was good. We had a great response there. Um, we swabbed over 300 people. Yeah, so that line went right around the corner at yep. one point. A lot of people, no transport, and that was as Trish said, an exposure site with some um, high-risk contacts. Some of the things we've, we've managed to work through is case management response plans that we work through with the health services, working out what they can do, what we can do, what needs to be done, who's got responsibilities for what, assuming that it wouldn't all go to plan, but at least we had a plan. We did, as Trish mentioned, information brochures that were for local circumstances, including brochures for homeless people because if they got a swab they had nowhere to go and isolate so we had advice around how to do that and worked with some of the NGOs about allowing people to isolate um, in the accommodation that normally they're not allowed to stay in during the day. It's set up, we kind of scoped and set up um, surveillance sites, did regular engagement with the homeless support groups and clients and we've done a whole lot of training uh, supporting Cunningham Centre to train people in health workers in vaccination and also contact tracing 
This one is a good one. Uh, yeah, so this one was the diversionary center. So again, when we had that case in Cairns, we set up at 5.30 a.m. Uh, to do some swabbing there just because um, of the, the situation. They like to get up and get out, of, get out early. So um, we were there to you know, do some surveillance at that homeless um, hub there. So basically, it's different circumstances require different approaches. So it's, it's good to have the broad brush approach, but it's not going to get everyone And when you've got different circumstances. So you need to go and find out what the differences are and how you can help to get local solutions for local issues. And I think finally, you know, hard to access, I think, is a state of mind. So we've been told all the people we're accessing are hard to access groups and we're like, well, we go and talk to them and it's when's the best time to start a relationship is kind of like best time to plant a tree and 20 years ago or, or now. So I'd encourage everyone to identify these groups that um, need extra help and work out with them how they can be helped or help themselves. Thank you. As always, thank you for listening to our podcast and taking the time to learn about the wonderful work of Queensland's frontline clinicians. To continue the conversation, head on over to Facebook and let us know of any pockets of excellence you think deserve to be showcased. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Clinical Excellence Queensland.